0: Well, hello, and welcome to the final session of our online Right Around the Murray Festival. My name's Anne-Marie, Festival Director, coming to you from the Aubrey Library Museum, home of our festival here on Wiradjuri country. And I'd like to pay respect to the Wiradjuri people and their elders as the custodians of this country, and indeed pay respect to all First Nations people across the country, and those joining us this afternoon. We are here at the end of five days of very wonderful events in our past lives, present tense themed festival. Uh, We've had fun playing around with this theme and of course it has invited some very weighty, challenging and sobering topics. We've been deconstructing the past, peering into the future and very much looking at where we are at this point in time. And I am thrilled that we're bringing the festival home in the hands and the minds of poets. I think poetry has a unique capacity to hold past and the future in profound ways. I think it's probably the most present tense form of writing in the way it both asks and shows us how to pay attention. For these reasons, I can't think of a better way to close the festival than by delving into the incredible collection of poetry that is Throat with Ellen Van Nierven. And leading our delving is Dr. Janine Lane, a Wiradjuri writer, poet, and academic from southwest New South Wales. Her first uh, volume of poetry, Dark Secrets After Dreaming, AD 1887 to 1961, won the Scanlan Prize for Indigenous Poetry, and her first novel, Purple Threads won the David Unaipon Award for an unpublished Indigenous writer in 2010. Janine's recent book of poetry is Walk Back Over and she is also the editor of a brand new anthology, Guwayu, For All Times, a collection of First Nations poems. In 2017, Janine was awarded the Ujiru Nunukul Poetry Prize and the University of Canberra Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Poetry Prize. Uh, Janine also teaches creative writing and Aboriginal literature at the University of Melbourne. So all of this is to say that we are in very good hands here. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Ellen and Janine to the screen. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Um, it's great to have you back with us Janine, uh, two years running, back in a very different way of course and Ellen it's, it's such a pleasure to welcome you to our inaugural online festival. Um, I'm going to hand over to Janine to introduce Ellen uh, we're very much looking forward to this conversation and hearing about your work, hopefully hearing some of your poetry uh, so, I'll uh, let Janine introduce you and leave you both to it. Thank you. Thank you, Anne-Marie.
1: Um, before I go on to introduce uh, Ellen, I would also like to acknowledge that I belong to the Wiradjuri people um, on the Murrumbidgee River and I like to pay my respects to my elders past, present and emerging, and particularly to the people who raised me at home. I'd also like to acknowledge today that I'm speaking from Ngunnawal, Ngambri country here in um, Canberra between the Brindabillas and also on the Murrumbidgee River and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. And I really like to welcome Ellen and look forward to this conversation. Um, Ellen Van Neven um, is Uh, an award-winning writer and editor of Munanjali and Gumbair descent and Dutch heritage. Ellen's first book, Heat and Light, was the recipient of the David Juniapon Award and the Dobby Literary Award and the New South Wales Premier's Literary Awards for Indigenous Writing. And Ellen's second book, A Collection of Poetry, Comfort Food, was shortlisted for the New South Wales (laughs) Kenneth Slessor Awards and highly commended in the 2016 Wesley McHale Wright Prize. And Throat is Ellen's second collection of poetry. Welcome, Ellen.
2: Chingaree. I would like to acknowledge that I live on work on Turrbal and Yagara country and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging on this land. I'd also like to acknowledge uh, the Wiradjuri people um, of who I'm connecting you know with this festival in a digital space and particularly acknowledge you Janine as a Wiradjuri woman and all of the Wiradjuri women in my life that have um, given me teachings and learnings um, and have connected to me as family. So thank you and it's a pleasure to be in conversation with you today.
1: Thank you Ellen. Um, The name of our panel is Present Tense, Our Uneasy Inheritance. And when I was thinking about this and leading this discussion, I started thinking about tense, the idea of tense in its full sense of the word. It means both a specific moment in time, past tense, present tense, future tense. And, but it also means a condition, a state, an inability to be able to relax, feeling stressed and feeling anxious. And I think for First Nations people, tense freezes us in, in times. In times it captures us in certain moments, in representations, in images that are not of our own making and much less to our own liking And this mm. kind of Tense makes us and leaves us tense. Mm-hmm. And First Nations Halaku writer and academic and poet Amberlyn Kwamalina writes of Western time a version of time that is always carrying people away from an unchangeable past into an unknowable future, giving the illusion of progress regardless of whether anything has changed. I think as a First Nations writer, I I read this work and your other works, and I think you write time differently. And I was wondering if you'd like to comment on how you write time.
2: Uh, Differently to to whom, Janine, just to clarify?
1: Uh, How you write time in your Mm. work as a First Nations writer differently to how I perceive Western time.
2: Yeah, um, such a big question. Thank you. Um, I guess broadly speaking, I think about time um, as quite elastic and expansive. And I think you know, so often Australia is called a you know a young nation, um, where actually it's home to the oldest living culture in the world um and so i really think deeply about those you know 75,000 years plus of um culture here people here and um you know such a short time of uh you know colon- the colon- colonizers here white people here Um, It's a very short time in comparison to a very long stretch of time and a a long continuance. Um, And so I'm really conscious of that in my writing Um, and I don't, I also don't really see um, this kind of uh, solid line between the living and those who have, like passed away um I feel like I write to people who are maybe not physically here but spiritually here and to this land and to this country and so that widens my audience in a way and makes me feel very conscious that I'm really continuing something that is still here that's all always will be here and I'm less, like, I'm less likely to think about what I'm doing as something new because I know that it's already been done, it's already been said, and I'm just sort of the carrier of all of that knowledge. Um, and so that's how I see time. And I mm-hmm. often also look at the future as well as the present and the past as all things that are um happening, yeah, happening at the same time.
1: Yeah. Mm. And and then that's I'm thinking there's much in your book that references that you're not just writing to the people who are here in our present mm. time. And I'm thinking mm. of all those ways that Western people use time. And I, I think there's much in your work that is not that is written far beyond that. And mm. and that is the responsibility of your writing as well.
2: Yeah. I mean it's like the, the title of your um, new anthology, Janine Gawayu. Yes. Uh, which um, sure. which is what what could you explain the meaning to that of that? Yeah. It doesn't really have a direct English translation, does it?
1: Not a neat English translation, mm. but you can interpret and I like to use the word interpret when you when we are mm. not just for my own language, but Uh, when we're talking about um, offering some sort of parallel meaning uh, between uh, our languages and English. The word interpret is is more useful. There isn't anything direct. Um, But, yeah, guayu means still and yet, which means... which actually breaks down just those two words still continuing and yet into the future and it breaks down that linear kind of separation between past, present and future Mm -hmm. and just encompasses both those times in this one word which once again you can... If you interpret it, would mean for all times. Mm, 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 mm. And I think when when I was writing in that framework and thinking about that, it changed the responsibility, my responsibility as a writer as well.
2: Yeah, um, it's beautiful. Yeah, we we are responsible for you know to yeah we're responsible for so much. I think as first First Nations writers and First Nations people and. Uh, yeah, we're not um riding into an empty void. actually, that would be very scary, I think, to sort of feel not feel that existence of um, other people here with us, uh, forever with us, always with us.
1: That's a really great point because I think people underestimate that or don't see it at all like we're here to talk about um and we are going to talk about that but we're going to talk about some of the gifts that we inherit as well mm. i think people think about a lot the uneasy or the difficult legacy that we inherit as first nations people but you've just beautifully um articulated another one that you feel the people who've gone before you and you feel that in the now and possibly the people who are going to come after you and that is a great gift and I don't think that everyone has that. I think that's something uniquely that we inherit as First Nations writers. Mm. Which is I would point
2: agree, point. yeah. Mm.
1: So I think as a writer you subvert and challenge those notions of time in a lot of your works but two in particular pieces that leap out to me and I was wondering if you would read them, um, is I Grieve in Sleep and that wonderful long poem called um, Chirming and I was wondering if you would um, treat us to um, a reading.
2: Yeah, of course. Um, so I'll I'll read the poem and then maybe we'll have a yeah, discussion. Sure. So this um, poem is called I Grieve in Sleep. I sleep topless, imagining my lover by my side. I kiss their cheek and hold their tired body. And here my dysphoria fades and my eyes shut as I ask them to unwrap secrets of their day. It's been weeks and months and soon will be years. They haven't called or written or kissed me in so long my friend insists this lover has gone this love is gone my spine keeps me here it's not over how can it be not while the butterflies are still breathing not while i still have crushed eucalypt in my hand beautiful
1: and i guess What really leapt out to me about that poem is this contrasting between a friend who may be operating on a different time scale and tells you this is over. There's a lot of kind of words in there on the one hand that are suggesting this limited linearity of time, but then the way you end it around, well, it's not over Till it over you it's a poem very much about process rather than product or means rather than ends. You know, would you like to talk a bit more about
2: that? yeah, I really have not met a First Nations person that talks about endings. I always yeah. it's a very consistent with our people that we you know we don't we, we understand things are always in flux things are always changing um and of course we have you know seasons that are that are different to the western very 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 different and they're not it's not arbitrary you know it's not like the first of august is you know a certain thing it's it's all around this you know the cycle of the natural world and the sort of the connection between one animal to another animal, to a plant to, you know, like everything sort of kind of happens at in its own time. And so, um, yeah, things sort of don't, it's not like a clock kind of thing. It's a different sense of time. And so, yeah, I sort of, instead of talking about things being over, we often talk about things and it's something that I am reminded of me, myself as a person, am reminded of in this poem, um, things, you know, still, um, still being there, still being in country. Um, And I just, when I read it, I thought about, you know, the line about the butterflies. Um, There was a lot, you know, it's sort of like the Bogon moth, you know, like how prevalent um they were like i mean there's so there's so many much more of them than there are today same yeah. with these butterflies in in brizzy like really big butterflies that just like covered the sky was so thick um 200 years ago there's less butterflies now but they're still here you know like that's and butterflies are you know so seasonal like there's you know different butterflies for different seasons and so yeah, when I, you know, when I see the butterflies, I'm, I'm reminded that, you know, of that connection, I guess. Um, and um, for me, always having grown up here in southeast Queensland, when I lived in Nam for two years, again, I had to re myself with the different seasons and the different animals and the different butterflies as being different to where I was from and as soon as i sort of started to notice those really small subtle details i felt a lot more grounded um as a person and and i'd had things around me like leaves like shit like my my cousin gave me a shell from manjura by Stradberg island and i just had it with me like always like it burnt a hole in my pocket but it just made me feel you know connected and and, and uh like i wasn't alone yeah
1: yeah, and, and I think that's what particularly leaps out at me, this mm. idea that it's not over this bucking, this whole idea of end, mm.
2: Mm. about means. Yep.
1: Great, and would you share some of Chermy with us please?
2: Yeah, of course. Yeah, Chermy yeah. is is like my mm. favourite poem in Throat and it's a lot of other people's favourite as well because I think it's it's got so much story in it, you know, it's it's a longer poem so Janine and I discussed that, I would just read an extract of it. Um, and so it appears at sort of at the start of the book, one of the first poems. Um, and uh, Chermy, I guess, is, um, for those of you who don't know it, is the suburb. It's the name of a suburb called Chermside in Brisbane. It's like in the, in the north. Um, and it's, yeah, sort of very, it's a very lo- localised poem, but in the same time I feel like it's quite, quite universal. Good. And, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll read it and, again, we can talk about it later. Um, yeah. Uh, Westfield Chermey is one of our sacred sites. Gammon. My grandparents came to Chermey in the early 50s. They had a house on Feast Street where my mother and her siblings grew up. They moved there after the two older children were born in Waco. Mum was the second born in Fee Street. The shopping centre first opened in 57, Chermside Drive-In Shopping Centre. Now it's the largest single-level shopping centre in Australia. It expanded and expanded and expanded over years. Mum remembers an oval surrounded by bush swimming pool in the middle. On the weekends, her and her brothers and sisters had the choice go to the pool or the cinema. The dawn opened in 28, shut in 2005, the last single screen cinema in Brisbane. Round Chermie, everything's changed, some parts unrecognisable, but the houses near Fee Street, a pocket has stayed the same, the same old little houses. On Fee Street, the family's kids played together, their names, Arnie will know. The bush was all open, could walk to the bush through to gibung and Aspley to see friends go to school. gibung primary, all you have to worry about was snakes, never wore shoes. Geebung camp among the trees and gibung groves, the roads are old roads. Nana's warm arm against mine, mama nanny touching by the biggie shop, next to the butcher, strong deadly women, ready to take on Chermi at peak hour. On a Saturday morning, pride of knowing where every shop is. Always notice a new one coming up. Know the specials. Keep the vouchers. Push Nana on the motor scooter. Uh, push Nana on the motor scooter. Push Nana along. Save for Christmas. The decorations are different each year. Push Nana up the hill. Tell your cousin you're coming over. Spend four hours looking for an outfit. Go to Best and Less. Get some undies. Nanny always bought you bonds said those girls need the best keep the docket see if it fits each year our bodies change we get older in changing rooms we try to fit into jeans and schools that know our black mothers just trying to fit in chermy is always home new swimmers birthdays at the pool the cinemas make us cry sometimes My mum will kill me true if I don't separate my recycling before I leave the food court. My brother is up playing pinball. He refuses to give me his tokens and lollies. He'll be saving them for weeks. Westfield's sacred to us. Women are the gatherers. Make our houses safe, make our families safe. My mum, grandmother, aunties took care of me good. I never had to worry about anything much. Protected us when we were little. We were jarjums. Now we can, with greater ease, make our own mistakes.
1: Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, look, Chirmy reads to me like as a testimony of this. You know, really, really continuing presence of um, mm. Aboriginal matriarchs in, the, in mm. this place. That is now the largest single um, shopping lever. Uh, sorry, shopping centre in Australia. But that that part, particularly the, the last part that you read about Westfield is sacred to us and that the women are gatherers, I mean, that just speaks so um, loudly and clearly to, to that Gawaiyu, in, in my language, Gawaiyu, you know, that still and yet and for all times.
2: Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, yeah, I think that poem might have surprised some readers because, I'm talking about you know that that idea of um, you know like practicing you know all of that that you talked about in a in an urban environment in a you know a, in a Westfield shopping center, um, which people might go, you know like how is that you know re- relevant to First Nations' lives? but everything that we did in that shopping center or around that shopping center was about us as a family and you know us as our identity and growing up so i think yeah it's kind of for me it was a really important piece to write i think
1: no i think it's it is a really important piece to write i mean among all the other important things you've written um and in addition to what that poem does to in speaking to continuance that i've just said it also just speaks to that um that urbanness of, of continuous of continuousness of mm. urban black communities that people tend to forget about and, and you know like there's nothing um deculturated about that poem at all particularly mm. um when you speak about women being gatherers um yeah so we do inherit um an uneasy unle- legacy But it isn't the only thing we inherit. Um, We're not just people whose inheritance for the future and and for our children is burdensome. It's undeniable that we inherit, that some of the legacy we inherit is uneasy and traumatic. Um, But I think it's important to remember that we also inherit a lot of really positive things as well. Um, that particularly come to the fore in your work. And just to name a few, there's biculturalism, like that ability to live in two worlds. There's stoicism, resilience, um, and there's a tremendous collective memory that is the sum of Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. us. Talk
1: a bit about that largely unseen and underrated legacy of the Aboriginal home or the home front, which I think is the cradle and the soul of
2: First Nations activism. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this a lot, Janine, just personally, that just how underrated and unrepresented um, the activism in the home, in the domestic space, in particular by women um, and female identifying people and non-binary people, Um, instead of, you know, like we see a very, we can see a very um, kind of um, stereotypical image of uh, protest or activism or resistance as being, you know, a very kind of, um, you know, on the streets, the tent embassy uh, in a kind of very male kind of, it's very, if, very know, yeah, yep. yeah um which really erases all of what women do to to even put men in those positions that they can do that um and you know we as a community are always supporting each other um but a lot of that emotional and physical labor of women is consistently disregarded and not seen yeah. as important um, and historically it's been kind of the backbone of you know the whole nation you know so um, yeah I think it's it's very yeah it's very undervalued and that's why I try to always talk about, um this in my in my work and um yeah I think it you know it's that kind of really yeah there's just so much in it you know there's so many conversations that happen in the home oh I see that you have um
1: yeah I was gonna say
2: yeah dear dear friends book
1: yeah yeah yeah. while while your work was a completely different medium Mm. um I I remember writing about um the home front, when I was writing about Arnie Carey's work as well, and and about yours, and I said, yeah, like exactly, like this home front is the bedrock and the cutting edge of First Nations mm-hmm. activism a long time before you ever get to that man with the megaphone and the flag, flag Yes, yes, and the crowds. Yeah, and, and I, I I also noted in that review that um, stoicism and strength emanate through your words and many of your poems draw on this strength of of home mm. and um, one among the many really powerful poems that you've written from the domestic scene from the home front in throat is called vinegar and i just yep. love home and i was wondering if you'd read that for us
2: yeah of course yeah i just wanted to just talk yeah just about yeah, just really just quickly say that that home building so important, you know, like and women creating these spaces where we can be safe. Um as, you know, as Yeah, I just it's so it's so important, you know, like um yeah, I think of my Nana who would probably be the first person to say that she wasn't very political and you know she didn't you know wave the flag or anything this was like before that kind of thing was um as popular as it is now um but she had led a very politicized life and she raised seven children she kept them safe and now you know we're we're very you know Strong family of of about you know a hundred people, um, and she's that matriarch behind all of all of us as people. So, um, yeah, extraordinary. Um, I'm gonna read. Yeah, I'm gonna read vinegar. Thank you. Sometimes the house is unclean. In this panic, I find myself in both past and future. When we clean houses, we do so knowing that they are watching and our lives depend on it. When we teach our children to clean houses, we do so knowing that they are watching and our lives depend on it. I honor your cleaning recipes squatting on the shower floor i will not have to work as hard and i don't have your burdens but i wonder does the intergenerational load get lighter or heavier yeah
1: beautiful Uh, that palm speaks so powerfully to I had so many visions of women doing that, and I do that myself. And, and that speaks very clearly to this, um, to strength, but it also to the uneasy inheritance of surveillance. And mm. that for, I think, the meaning of tense that I was talking about at the mm. start is because that poem's about always being caught in someone else's time and always being oh, caught really. in this image. And then how tense you say the poem begins with you feel panicked because totally
2: yeah yeah Yeah, and i have to acknowledge our sister natalie harkin who um you know asked you know put together that great collection that people should check out that's on the cordite uh poetry review website of uh called domestic which is a a collection of of many other first nations poets writing to that theme Mm -hmm. um Yeah, like for me, like writing about something that's, you know, happening, you know, I'm feeling, but connects to so much more of a history and legacy. Um, My mum will be the first person to tell me that I'm not a very domesticated person. Um, (laughs) And I would much rather, um, you know, watch a film or, you know, read a book than I would clean the bathroom um but when i when i do clean the bathroom i i feel i often feel that wave of panic that i describe in that poem because and i always try and talk myself out of it but it's always there because um for people before me i I live in a luxury i can you know i i don't i could i don't have to spotlessly clean my bathroom um but there was that fear of, you know, uh, they said that we were dirty people. They said that about a lot of other uh, people, yeah. migrant communities here. But actually, you know, go, go into our houses and we have the cleanest houses because, Absolutely. you know, that scrutiny, scrutiny of having a clean house. Otherwise, um, you know, the children might be taken away. If you were working for a white woman, if you didn't clean, you know, like that, that threat of violence um, was just so, just, yeah, just very extreme. And, and Janine, like you said, that surveillance culture, which I think for people who haven't experienced it and are maybe experiencing it for the first time under COVID, it's completely, you know, what it does to your psyche, you know, it's just, um, you're always sort of living, you know, under the thumb of of some other person that's or, or not person, sorry, um, system, system that has control of your life, um, and so uh, yeah, it's it's really, yeah, it's sort of it's still happening um, yeah. for our people. So it, for me, it was yeah, it's still think that it's it's so important to try and express those those feelings and those emotions um yeah
1: of of continuance yeah look I
2: still
1: to this day I can't handle having I've got to have my front door and the passage where you open my front door into my house that's just got to be spotless spotless
2: Yeah. yeah yeah
1: You can't. And I used to drive my family mad But making yeah. them pick up everything around the front door and keep the entrance clear. But
2: yeah. I know. I've I've driven people crazy about how anxious I am about if I have visitors and just how everything has to be perfect. Yeah. Um and it seems irrational, but it's yeah, it's it does come from that yeah, that reality. And that's why I say in that last line, does the intergenerational light, load get lighter or heavier? Because you know we are carrying so much trauma um you know i'm probably of that first generation or maybe you are janine where we can actually take a moment a breather to reflect on all of what's happened in these last 250 years um and it's 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 a huge yeah it's a it's a it's a huge heaviness i think to sort of Reflect on all of what's happened and what is continuing to happen.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I think you're right. I think I, I saw myself as the first generation of a long line of women who had that, just had that space, and probably yeah. had the words.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Even begin to actually articulate some of that carried burden of surveillance and and always mm. being watched. Yeah. But um, you, we sort of segue into the next thing I wanted to talk yeah. about. You, you write in uh, one of your uh, pieces, without colonialism, there'd be nothing to write about. And then in uh, your, in the opening untitled piece, you also write, there seems to be nothing else to write about now but my trauma. But as, new, as soon as I read those lines, I thought, wow, the irony of these yeah. is is high. Um, yeah and so let's talk a bit about the pernicious inheritance of deficit models mm. uh, as daniel a cherokee uh academic and and writer Daniel Heath justice puts it um the 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 habit that settlers have of always casting us as the products of trauma
2: yeah i, I really like daniel Heath, Heath justice's work yeah. He's got some really solid stuff. Um, yeah, I think. Yeah, being very ton- tongue in cheek with those yes. two statements, um, I think it happens. It happens in so many different settings. You know, the medical setting, for example, where we are. Yeah, we are constantly seen as. Um, you know, just having this sort of narrative that's not a not a good narrative, you know. It's like um, when, you know, Morrison said that there was, you know, there's a 20-year difference in, you know, people over 50 that are non-Indigenous, I oh, sorry, people over 70 that are non-Indigenous stay home. Um, this is when the first wave happened in yeah. COVID. People who are over 50, if you're Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, stay yeah. home. So that's a 20-year health life yeah. expectancy yeah. difference um yeah. which uh is a really it's it's a really really uh heavy thing um and our, our people are so often um face kind of problems accessing medical services because of this script has already been written on like what's you know what what's going to happen to you um and we sort of lose that autonomy to be able to sort of say, you know, actually I think this is wrong, and this is what I need, um, this is what I want. Um, so yeah, we do need our own health, health kind of stuff, yeah. and that's another chat. But then I think you know, in terms of publishing, you know, both of we both are you know, we both are writers that, that publish. So we, in some ways, we are often um, held to this thing where, you know, potentially um, the expectations on us as First Nation writers are to write a particular thing. And, you know, there's a lot of literature um, that is expected to follow the script of you know, what's the most traumatic thing that's happened to you? Can you write about it? And it's been really exacerbated by the internet. There's just like countless articles um, out there that are, you know, a very kind of I feel in some ways I don't know if this is helpful. Um, I think what is the most radical and liberating thing is for us to set our own agenda on what we want to write about, what stories we want to tell, yeah. and not feel like we need to succumb to that pressure. Because I've I've definitely have felt it myself, um, where people ask you to write something, and then there's that ulterior motive when they want you to write something that you know might get those clicks. People might that like, clickbait. Oh, you know, like we want to kind of. So I've, I've have to, I've learned to be very careful in how I, you know, and I think my poems were trying to sort of um, claim some of that authority to be able to uh, to write how I want to, which is with a sense of irony, which which is with humour, which yeah. is like I'm going to tell you what I want to tell you right now and nothing more, nothing less. um just stick with me and, um, yeah, I sort of felt, yeah, quite good about arriving in that place but it wasn't easy to sort of strike that balance of um, you. obviously I think you have to be vulnerable as a writer but you don't want to do it as a cost to yourself or to your community or your family or tell a story that you're not allowed to tell or that you, you probably shouldn't have told um, or there's something that's going to like, haunt you in the future. so or
1: that you don't want to tell yourself,
2: yeah. Yeah, totally, yeah. How do, how do you feel about that sort of thing?
1: I do feel exactly the same way and I think what you said about it's important for you and it's important for all of us to tell the stories we want to tell mm. because otherwise we're going to just fall into this further layer of cognitive kind of literary colonialism where we're producing stories that um, go into a colonial trope
2: of trauma Um, and I really want to tell stories where of futures where we are we are strong and we are in control and our our young people and our old people because for me you know in our culture they're the two most important like our our elders and our jarjums our our young people Um, for them to have you know, to be looked after and to feel like they have a purpose and that there's, you know, there's something for them that they, you know, that, that the possibilities are open for them.
1: Yes, yeah, and I think that's that's really important. I really want to tell the story of women who have agency mm. and they might make a lot of mistakes but the agency is their own agency.
2: Yes, yes, yes,
1: yes and they don't remain paralysed, I think, by, by trauma. Mm. But, uh, yeah, and I, I read a lot of your writing as resisting that trope. So, um, and I think this is the other thing I read out of your work is as First Nations people's history fails us, I don't think anyone will argue with that. Mm. Um, and Lord your Lord reminds us that good poetry works hard to do what history fails to do. There's so much in that. But just for the purposes of this discussion, I I read so much of that in your poetry, particularly in some of the poems that were harrowing but so important that you wrote about ongoing calls for social justice, especially for First Nations women. And there were a couple of poems like Silenced Identity and Women are, Are Still Not Being Heard and and Silenced Identity in particular asks us to think about the murdered and the missing, spoken about only in courts and tabloids. And I was wondering if you wanted to speak more broadly about ways in which you think history fails us or how mm. you think you were writing, did that motivate you, and, and particularly with those harrowing but very important poems you wrote? Mm.
2: Yeah, I think, um, yeah, that poem pays um yeah my you know is in the memory and pays my deep, deep respect to the um lives of um miss do yes. um miss clark um so many um women so many deaths in custody unfortunately we we just had one a few days ago um yes. in the city courthouse um here um an auntie pa- uh, passed away. There's an investigation ongoing, um, but you know it's police investi- investigating police, so we really don't have much confidence in the system. And you know we've seen these latest, um, you know, outcomes of some of these these tra- tragedies, um, like with Ar- Auntie Tanya Day. How you know there yeah. was no, there's no. Justice, you know, Um, and it's really, you know, the first thing that I saw, um, my first thing that I felt on Friday was, uh, you know, why does this keep happening again? When when will it end? When will it stop? Um, And as well, yeah, just feeling so awful for the family. Um, And just, yeah, so I think um yeah to answer your question um you know i think uh we we write we write we write but we uh are just you know feeling very um caught in uh these systems that um continue to fail our people and for there you know never to be any real sense of justice or even acknowledgement um, of a life, a life lost, um, when it feels like the you know the priority is is somewhere else, um, and Black lives to you know to to these systems do not matter because if they did, things would look a lot differently, um, and we would have a lot more control. Um, I, I went to see a a beautiful piece, um, dance piece, um, on the weekend um, by uh, Thomas Kelly, who's a who's a Yugumberg brother, and the piece was called Silence. And I, I started to think about it, and it, you know, very much talking about treaty making and and just how uh, silenced we our voices have been for the last two hundred fifty years. And I started to think about it. I was like. Wow, isn't that interesting that two Yugumbe people independently both released works, one called Throat and one called Silenced in 2020. Um, you know, it's just, for me, it's just like, yeah, there's some, yeah, it's. It's a
1: strong coincidence. I think that's those presences that, that you were talking about. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah. Um, and. So yeah, history fails us that way, and you speak to that very much in, in poems like Silenced Identity and and Women Are Still Not Being Heard. Mm. Um history also fails to tell the strength and resilience of us.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And in making this comment, I'm thinking in particular about a lot of your poetry, but one in particular that leaps out at me is this beautiful poem, um, A Portrait of Destiny. And I'll, if you wanted to share that with us and we can
2: talk. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to share this one. Because um, you're right, Janine, we, as much as, you know, we, we do really need to reflect on um, the strengths um, and how. You know, our survival, um, and there's not. I'm. I'm not for celebrating that because I think our survival has come at a real personal cost. So there's no joy in that, but there is a lot of strength, a lot of power, a lot of warmth, and a lot of continuance. Um, and I just think about how, yeah, how much, you know, I. have You know, lean on um, older women in my life um, that have really um, always been there for me and how much love we have. Um, And so when I was writing this work, I think a lot of people would know that I'm very, as well as being influenced by. First Nations writers that have come before me and are, you know, working alongside me, I'm also very influenced by other art forms and there's a lot of uh, beautiful visual artists that um, have created really beautiful work that inspires me. and One of them is Destiny Deacon Um, and uh, I got a commission, um, by the Queensland art gallery to write some poems, um, reflecting on their Australian collection. And I really wanted to write a poem to one of Destiny's works. And what I saw with Destiny, I saw how generous she was, she is in her artwork, in honouring other people, and I thought, oh, you know, I'm, she's done all these series of portrait works. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to actually do a portrait of her in a poem, you know, do my version, own version of a portrait. So that's why I called it Portrait of Destiny, and it begins with this quote from Destiny, um, which is, I don't live as an artist. Haku Mer Woman, Sharp, Strong, Relational. History, politics, photography, performance, radio, video, installation. Thanks, sis, for taking the white people's invention, putting your black eye behind the lens, representing us. You know I also feel when I'm sitting on the couch. I'm always feeling too much. Telling stories sometimes is the only way out. Thanks sis for dropping the sea for us urban blacks. You gave us a way to break free from their expectations, define our identity on our own terms. Brunswick sister, wherever you are, Lounge, living room, island, dark room, gallery, lecture hall, classroom. You're deadly, sis, too deadly.
1: Great. Yeah, I love that piece. Yeah, because destiny, I I think that's a good place almost to finish around because we're almost out of time. But also like destiny gave us that term. black. Black. Yeah and dropping the sea and uh, that's the thing that distinguishes us as First Nations people from um, from our uh, from our allies across the Atlantic. Yeah. African American blacks who we have a lot yeah. of heart in common with, but we are also distinct as as First Nations
2: yeah you're right giving us that very specific identity um yeah, yeah. yeah. and i love i love using b l a k really I really feel empowered by using that term and I feel like so many um yeah other other people uh also are in yeah use that as well yeah
1: yeah mm. and I, I think you hit on something else when you were talking before too you said something really important you said you're not up for celebrating because our continuance and our inheritance of the present has come at a tremendous cost. It has. Mm. A, so yeah, yeah. I think you're right. celebrate's not the right word, but to tribute it. Yeah. And tribute the past and. Yeah. Tribute those who um come before us. I come think. You, us. Yeah. It's really important. Um, and I thought it. Yeah.
2: Was important. I mean, I'm watching um, the Kathy Freeman um doctor tonight. tonight? It's tonight, yeah. yeah. I yeah. keep going. Oh, I keep going. I hope I don't miss it. I hope I don't miss it, but it's tonight. And can you believe that was twenty years ago? I mean, that was that was an, an incredible moment for I think so many of us. Yeah. Well,
1: I just remember how pressured I felt. So I can imagine
2: that.
1: <laughs> everybody remembers where they were. But yeah, yeah, I'm really looking forward um, to that tonight. And um i think to inherit as a first nations person um to inherit the present at all is a gift because you talked about the tremendous high cost and mm. and the suffering and the loss and the sacrifice of people who come before us and so yeah to um to inherit the presence at, at all for us as first nations people is a gift and um I was wondering if you'd like to comment on that and I was wondering if you'd like to um, conclude this really great discussion we had, I really enjoyed it, on reading what you think may be your favourite poem.
2: Okay, yeah. Um, I think I'm going to read the last poem in the book because I think that really does speak to... um, what you're saying um yeah. about that honoring as 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 being um honouring in the present as being uh, yeah really special, really important. Um just fills me with warmth um to, to think about um some of the the great achievements and sacrifices and you know just yeah that's you know I, I know I said it's an uneasy um, you know it's not, it's not necessarily celebrating, but just, yeah, just being really, um, I think you you put things in perspective when you think about the past and you think about some of the struggles um, that our, our elders and our ancestors had to endure. Uh, but we are, you know, we're still here, um, and we are telling stories and we are continuing our ancestors' talk. Yeah. So this, this poem's called Sand. Yeah. We sat up singing, covering our feet from the cold. The sand I carry in my heart is hot. The shadows are wet. My heritage is to honour those in my blood. We will not tire now. The song will keep going in us. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Oh, we're at the end. Thank you. Thank you both um, for bringing right around the Murray to a close on such a rich, wide-ranging, amazing, fantastic conversation. I'm so pleased we've got this recorded and we can listen again. yeah, so much in there, uh, Ellen. It's I, I loved what you said about the radical and liberating thing of of setting your own agenda, and I feel like it's a, a gift to all of us that you've claimed your authority to set your own agenda in your writing. And the the thing of taking a breather, um, it helps us all take a breather. And and I don't just mean that intellectually. I've, my experience reading your poems is I physically breathe easier. So um, thank you. Uh, I sh- would like to remind people that you can get hold of Ellen's books um, in all good bookstores, I'm sure, and Janine's also. Uh, but Dimmick's Aubrey has a great offer where they will deliver these books to you free of charge if you are local and At a great discount if you live outside the area. Uh, Look, thank you both for this rich discussion. I've just got a couple of words to wrap up the festival. I'd be um, pleased if you wouldn't mind hanging here with me for a moment while I do that. The truly fantastic thing about delivering this festival online is that it's meant we've been able to bring the work of incredible authors and um, these sort of enriching and important discussions to a much bigger audience, um, a massive audience in comparison to what we can accommodate over the, the five days of a normal festival, and we, um, you know, many of the conversations will be available for replay, and we'll be um, podcasting the audio of these conversations. Look, there are a very many thank yous to be made at this point, and we will do that properly more thoroughly on the website but in the context of presenting WAM so differently this year I do just want to thank a couple of people of course I would like to acknowledge Aubrey City and the State Library of New South Wales for funding the festival I would like to thank the technology for behaving oh my goodness we've come through this without a glitch and uh, my colleague Chris Amore, in particular for figuring out how on earth to pull this off and for all the times the technology was not behaving and there were a few, he calmly worked it out. <laughs> uh, to Amy Chan and Michelle Fricaro for spreading the word so ably, and Jackie Schultz for the gorgeous Wham! trailer, which you can watch over and over again on our Facebook page. Uh, there's many more others who've helped us do this as well as we have. And so I speak on behalf of the WAM team and committee when I say how proud we are of this year's festival. We decided to do our best under the circumstances and I think we have delivered one of our strongest festivals yet. Um, For that, I wanna thank the amazing writers and presenters who agreed to join with us for a digital festival. And to all of you who tuned in to let us know we had your attention, thank you. Uh, we would also uh, love to hear your feedback. We've got a very short online survey, which you'll find at rightaroundthemurray.org.au. Um, so, yes, back to Amazing Writers. Thank you again, Janine Lane and Ellen Van Nierven. Thank
2: you. i